Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, attorneys at law, with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider Pete Sampson, Tim Priester, joining you a couple days after Notre Dame's 49-20 win at Boston College. It was, I think in some ways, a lot more interesting than we had expected it to be. Uh, Going into the game, I think all all three of us sort of looked at it as like, yeah, probably going to be typical Notre Dame-Boston College. Maybe feel a little bit uh, Purdue-esque in how tight it is in a frustrating kind of way. And it was for about three and a half quarters. Um, I think one thing that I felt good about that actually did happen was I didn't really ever get, I didn't think Boston College was going to put out a vibe that they were going to actually win the game, and they didn't. Um, I think Notre Dame kind of held them at arm's length, but what I didn't expect was Notre Dame would hold them at arm's length and then basically just throw them in the Charles River uh, in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I think I think Notre Dame's improved physicality started to show over the last 20 minutes of the game. Certainly their athleticism uh, showed during that time, especially Brandon Wimbush. And yeah, I think Boston College just kind of was worn out and, and lost the, the fight a little bit. Certainly another thing I mentioned, I mean, Notre Dame's backup offensive line came in and Brian Kelly called, you know, was pretty aggressive with Ian Book, which is I think is very important to do. Uh, because of all the hits that Brandon Wimbush is taking. And, you know, the second-team offensive line did a great job, and Dexter Williams did his thing. So, I mean, we're seeing the depth of Notre Dame. We're seeing the improved physicality. We're seeing the improved stamina. Jerry Tillery, I thought, struggled a little bit against their freshman center, but he hung with it. And as you point out in our uh, press gathering with Brian Kelly yesterday on the phone, you know, the three linebackers were the top, uh, or, or three linebackers were top tacklers, and right after that was Jerry Tillery with seven. So he hung with it. Boston College was game. I know we're tired of hearing about how hard and how well teams play against Notre Dame, but they came out and did a good job. They were physical. They ran up tempo with their offense and with their young quarterback and some good, uh, certainly some talented running backs and receivers. They were able to give Mike Elko's defense uh, a real run for it. But in the end, it was too much Notre Dame, too much Notre Dame talent. Yeah, and I think before we get into Wimbush and the offense and where that's all going, I, I did want to talk about the defense because I, when I asked Brian Kelly that question on Sunday during his teleconference... You didn't expect him to answer No, his answer was totally different than yeah. what I was expecting because I, I thought he was going to... Because I had said, you know, could you describe this, the, the game plan structure of defense on Saturday... And the fact that it spit out Coney 13 tackles, Martini 10 tackles, Morgan 9 tackles, Tillery 7 tackles. Like, isn't that exactly what you wanted? And he's like, yeah, not really. Uh, and he kind of like chuckled before he answered. Yeah, he did. Which I was like, okay, this is going somewhere maybe interesting. And you just, I, I'm, I know Tim, I know you've sort of 
combed through the tape already. I haven't. I, but I'm starting with the defense first because I'm I'm curious to see, okay, what maybe didn't happen that you wanted to happen? Because overall, I thought Notre Dame's defense played a pretty good game. I think there were some missed tackles in there, some missed run fits. Not a ton, uh, you know, yeah. and certainly better as the game went on. And Notre Dame's forced turnovers came down the stretch of the game. I don't think that they expected Boston College's offensive line, considering that it was fairly makeshift, to get the punch and the push that they they, they got against Nordane, specifically in the first half. Uh, so maybe that's what he was talking about. I think it's a I think it's a great sign because it's raised the bar on the expectations of the defense that they should be better. That four hundred yards against or allowing four hundred yards against Boston College is too many. So that tells you what Mike Elko's defense uh, has done, what he's done with the defense, and where they are. They expect more. I don't think that Boston College had a quarterback that could really, certainly over 60 minutes, challenge Notre Dame safeties, but Notre Dame safeties are playing pretty darn well. I mean, Devin Studstill had a big second down tackle in that series that ended in fourth and one when Notre Dame swung the momentum by holding them there, and and we know that, uh, that Nick Coleman's played well. So... Expectations are higher. The bar is higher. I think that's a good thing to, to hear from Brian Kelly. Yeah, I mean, I think overall, if you look at where Notre Dame's defense is, they're in good shape. I mean, scoring defense is much improved. Third down defense, much improved. Yards per play, much improved. And, I mean, I realize that is compared to, or at least I compared it to the first three games of last year when it was a total disaster. Yeah. But it... It continues to look like a fundamentally sound, in the right position, pretty good tackling, reasonably well in terms of ter- forcing turnovers. Sean Crawford had three on Saturday, um, building depth, yeah. I think, which is really, really important. We, you know, we kind of laughed after the Temple game. Well, they can't keep playing this many guys. Well, they're going to, yeah, and and that's a really good sign. The concept of building a defense and depth at the same time. Is a is a new idea at Notre Dame, and that's and that's and that's Mike Elko, and that's why I've liked this guy for two years because you knew that he was doing more with less, and now, you know, Myron Tagovailoa Mosa is the one that made the penetration on the fourth and one. He's the one that gummed up the play, and then Bilal, Martini, Morgan, and Coney were all in the game there, and each one of them impacted the play after uh, Tagovailoa Mosa made the penetration. So good stuff happening with the defense. Yeah, because I think, especially with Tagovailoa and Julian Alquara, both of those guys are way better than I would ex- have expected going into the year. I, I, I thought that Alquara's utility would be best served in, in pass rush nickel situation than it is, but he's... Even there, he's much more effective than I was expecting. Virtually every snap, you better account for him because but he's coming. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's still not a great pass-rushing team. But, like virtually everything else about the defense, collectively and individually, they're getting better every week. Yeah. As far as the offense goes, um, Brandon Wimbush, I, I sort of whispered it late in our last podcast. Like, hey guys, what if he's just not that accurate? But I was still not expecting to see what I saw on Saturday. Um, and I think it, it is a fascinating next step, less for Brandon Wimbush than it is for Brian Kelly and Chip Long, because at this point I think they have to look at him and be like, okay, this is not what we were expecting. Uh, we knew there were no sure things with a first-time starting quarterback, but um, I, I really don't know how they're going to adjust the offense moving forward. I just know that they have to adjust the offense moving forward. They do, and I, you know, we can speculate about what 
what we think they should do. And I don't even know what that <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, but I mean, I, it, it, today's Tale of the Tape, the second segment is entitled Which Way Do They Go? And I, you know, I'm just throwing ideas out there. I think it has to be, and first of all, credit to you for, for saying that about Brandon Wimbush after the Georgia game because I was just a lot more forgiving. And we're, we're still not willing to disbelieve what we've seen with our own eyes in practice. I mean, I can't believe that Brandon Wimbush was just accurate in the uh, practices that we had access yeah. to. But I'm sure over the course of the entire preseason, uh, the coaching staff has seen some of that. But, you know, they've got to come up with something that involves the wideouts because they caught three passes for, what, 11, 11 yards? yards. Uh, and I think I, you know, I think that one of the safer ways to do it is you're deep at at, at uh, tight end, and you have to use those guys more. The corner route to Durham Smythe was the best thrown pass by Brandon Wimbush all day. You have you have to stick with that. Whatever the best routes are to get Equinemia St. Brown the football that Wimbush can complete, you have to you have to obviously incorporate those. But I think it involves more. More use of the tight end. We see Elise Mack starting to get on the same page and catching the football. Now he's got to be physical after the catch, which is something you and I talked about after the game. Uh, maybe Brock Wright plays fullback in places other than the low red zone, uh, which is inside the 10-yard line. Maybe you use him a little bit more. Maybe uh, Cole Komet is involved in the passing game and some short stuff. But the problem is... That there's no finesse to anything that Wimbush is throwing now. I mean, right. he's throwing fastballs to guys on slants that are 12 Oof. yards upfield. He doesn't have a touch with anything. Throwing on the run, I mean, no. forget about throwing on the run to his left looks very, very awkward. Throwing to his right should be natural, but he's throwing worm burners when he's doing that. Mm-hmm. It was his first road start. You do have to. I mean, you do have to take that into consideration. Uh, but it's not going to get any easier against Michigan State, who I, who isn't a great football team and isn't up to the level of Michigan State. But it's still at Michigan State. It's still Mark D'Antonio, and it's it's a it's still a very physical program. Yeah, it's uh, one thing that Brian Kelly said, I think on Sunday, was he felt like Wimbush really settled in after it connected with Smythe. He only threw two more passes, yeah, and they're both incomplete. In, he didn't settle um, in that. So it, I think it was it was interesting when BK mentioned. Maybe Thursday of last week or Tuesday of last week. Oh, it was Thursday of last week. I asked about RPOs and like, was that something you really want to do or not? And he's like, not really. I think if there was something that we wanted to do more of with Wimbush, it's rolling them out, bootleg, that kind of stuff. But, well, they did but, that. <laughs> yeah, but throwing on the run is like that's not a not a thing. Um, that's so I don't I don't really know where they go. That's why I, one of the things I suggest is maybe some more five and seven stop step drops so he can set his feet, mm-hmm. get balanced. Uh, but that doesn't quite play to his strengths. He said after the game, we have to play more to his strengths, which is fine. Uh, I, I agree with that. Bottom line is you need to win the next football game, not the next. You can't think about beyond right. that right now, considering all the issues there. Uh, but that's why, I, you know, I, I, some five and seven step drops. Um, but they're not going to abandon him on the run either because... When he gets to the edge against a defense of normal speed as opposed to Georgia, he can do a lot of damage, as we saw. So there aren't any easy answers. I would caution that, you know, don't expect it. I mean, it's not going to go from where it was last week to something perfect. You just need to improve and get better and play well enough to beat Michigan State, come out of it as healthy as you can among the frontliners, and then move on to the next 
and make another incremental improvement um, against Miami, Ohio. Yeah, I think that if you're Notre Dame, you sort of look at, okay, if we really want to tinker with the offense, that bye week is still three weeks away. Uh, I don't think that now is really a time you're going to no, mess around with that No, but I do, think that, I do think that Notre Dame could turn this into an advantage against Michigan State because I think there are some other things in their offense, like the use of the tight ends and whatever, um, that maybe won't show up on film just yet. So there is a little bit of an element of surprise that I would think you know, every coordinator's playbook is deep, and I'm sure there's some things in there that, that Chip Long hasn't uh, fully addressed yet. Yeah, and that's uh, Brian Kelly references out of the gate on Saturday night when I asked about it, and he said, look, we have more than enough in our offensive playbook yeah. that we can move pretty hard in one direction but still run our offense. Um, so I don't think that's going to change. But I think part of the Wimbush situation that's interesting is, well, how does it reflect on the receivers? They have not played that well. Freddie Canteen's now out for the year. Uh, St. Brown was kind of invisible, but some of the throws that Wimbush is putting on him, like you even look back at the Georgia game where he, I think, had a slant and St. Brown had to jump and completely expose. I mean, he could have been out for the year with a, with a hit from a Georgia safety there. It's a, Wimbush is not making it easy on those guys, and it's but it's difficult for us to watch from the press box and know like, well, that route was run at the wrong depth. I have no idea, yeah, uh, and and nobody really does. So, I think if if there's a next move at receiver, it's kind of what you just referenced. It's to take one receiver off the field and put a second tight end. Right? Exactly. No, exactly. I I think that that would I think that would be a very very smart move. Um, I think it's kind of difficult to overly judge the wide receivers because Wimbush has been so accurate, inaccurate. And really, I, I mean, he was more inaccurate against Boston College than he was Georgia. I mean, yeah. way, way more, really, in a lot of respects. So I maybe there is a little bit of element of surprise there going into Michigan State, but the simple, basic throws have to be made. And look, this is not the NFL, okay? It's college football, thankfully, because Brandon Wimbush wouldn't be playing if it, he would have been benched for somebody else if it was a higher level of sophistication within the passing game. And, you know, whether the offensive line has gotten the kind of push that, that Notre Dame fans want on a regular basis through three games or not, that's still your veteran group and you need to lean on them. And they did, you know, they played pretty well. McGlinchey got a ton of push against Boston College. Um and here's another thing, and I don't know if we're going to get to it, so I want to bring it up. Harold Landry, Notre Dame neutralized him. Right, maybe one uh, tackle in the game? Yeah, and again, check out the tail of the tape because Brian Kelly completely explained their approach toward him in his Sunday uh, gathering with us. So, no easy answers. The bottom line, take the next step to advance your offense and beat Michigan State, and then you regather and try to do it all over again the next week. Yeah, in terms of the receiver position, Fred Canteen out for the year. Cam Smith injured with an ankle. Javon McKinley, Brian Kelly would like to redshirt him ideally. Kevin Stefferson, no real update on that. CJ Sanders, I've been getting. I feel like CJ Sanders is this week's Dexter Williams. Like, what, what's jet, up with this guy? I threw that in a jet sweeps. Yeah, I mean, you can give him one or two touches in a jet jet sweep. You could give Dexter Williams one or two touches in a jet sweep, like Georgia did with DeAndre Swift. Yeah, and that's interesting because. To wrap up segment one on an injury note, Tony Jones sprained ankle. Um, yeah, that's a I, loss. I've never seen a running back play with a sprained ankle one week after he's being carted around the yeah. stadium. We seem to keep running into yeah. him. <laughs> as, as, 
We could not find our way to the press room, and Tony Jones on his cart could not find his way to the, the locker trip, room. The trip to the press room is very convoluted at Alumni Stadium, and in the course of our zigzagging to find it and then to get back out the field, we ran into Tony Jones twice on the yeah. cart. Yeah, you think that... I can understand if the media doesn't know where they're going, but you think an injured player and the training staff would. Um, but if he's out and Notre Dame wants to run two running backs, well... That has to mean Dexter Williams gets more work. Now I don't know if they want to run two more two more running back sets because they haven't done it a lot the last couple of weeks. It's been more of sort of a a real change of pace yeah. opposed to two tight ends. But maybe that paves the way for Dexter Williams to get in there more. But um, you know, just to wrap up segment, I totally agree with you on the offensive line. I thought they played very very yeah. well. It was a it was a strong bounce back performance. One, one last thing about Dexter Williams: I, I, people want him in the game because he could go sixty yards at any time. I, and he can do that, obviously. That's a bonus. I'd like to see him in the game more so that Josh Adams can get to the end of the season in one piece. I, yeah, there are a lot of running backs out there that carry eight. He's averaging 18 and a half carries a game. But he's a taller, longer back, and so he doesn't, the pad level, he can't protect his body as well as a guy built closer to the ground. So Dexter Williams needs to play because he's a big play guy, but also because you know, it's a long season. They're only a, a quarter of a way through it, and Josh Adams is already favoring his knee. He's got a brace on that knee, and we saw him favoring it during the game. Yeah, that's three straight weeks where he's been banged up during the game. Right. So, All right, well, that's it for segment one. We'll come back with questions from our readers and Twitter next on Irish Illustrated Insider. Irish Illustrated Insider is brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, Attorneys at Law with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider. We've got questions from our readers and also from Twitter. We're going to start there. First question is from Sports Geek, and he wants to know if we think that Ian Book will start getting reps with the one this this week to allow the offense to have a change of pace at quarterback. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think Nordane's fully invested in Brandon Wimbush, but I did like, as we mentioned in the first segment, the fact that Kelly gave him an opportunity to throw the football a little bit. And, um, you know, despite the game being very one-sided at that point. So, um, you know, I don't know. Some some one reps just in case, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a short week, man, once you start getting into the season. So you don't have that many opportunities, especially with Wimbush. The way Wimbush has been throwing the football, you got to get him as many reps as you can. Yeah, it's a, somebody asked me about this. It's like, you know, you have two options. You can work Ian Book in. Or you can take Brandon Wimbush and devote more time to him to try to improve him. I would take door number two there yeah, every time. I think most coaches would take door number two in that situation. Next up, Brian Murphy, and he wants to. He wanted to ask us about Boston College's third touchdown because didn't the ball hit the ground and scored out after the catch? Yeah, I yeah I looked at that thoroughly. We never saw the angle that the side judge had in making the call. Um, but the thing is, Crawford. You know, when the ball reached Kellen and Crawford had his hand on his chest in between uh, Kellen's clutching hands, and it was it was in there the whole play, the the, the side judge just kind of nonchalantly accepted it as a catch and raised his hands. 
And then, of course, the football was out when you saw them roll around. I, I don't think it was the right call. Um, the problem was I don't think the replay booth saw the angle that the official saw when he made the call. So I'm going to tell you, you're a really smart person because I had someone text me who talked to one of the officials at the game. Okay. Um, and he said that the back judge uh, on the game came over to the guy that signal touched him, which I think was the side judge, and said basically, are you sure? Because that ball came out and the side judge said, yes, um, he saw the ball come out, but he was sticking with his call of the touchdown. The problem was with the replay booth didn't have the right angle to overturn it. Okay. But I think if you, if there, there were many angles, if you just watched the play. Yeah. That, that's just it. I mean, yeah. it, the, the, the rule is the rule. You have to, you have to come up with the football after all the tumbling going on there. And Crawford, I mean, Crawford did a hell of a job by first getting his hand in there and then just trying to scramble things up as they somersaulted a couple times. But um, I don't know if the ACC will make any pronouncement on that this week, but I'm sure that, I'm sure they will be looking at it. Yeah. Our last tour question from Rob Ebert. He wants to know, tell me one thing that you've seen or one thing that you saw during training camp that's really surprised you as you watched the first three games and then tell me one thing that you saw in training camp that's really surprised you in a negative sense based on what you see in the well, first three games. The, the easy answer with the um, something we didn't think would happen that has is Wimbush because we never, ever saw him uh, be so inaccurate, which is why it's not fake news. We, <laughs> don't we go, saw I don't it. I'm yeah, not a big fan of that expression. Um you know, I, we we never, ever did we think that we would see the inaccuracy. And I wonder just how surprised the coaches are. Uh, on the flip side, the safety play keeps getting better and better, and we rarely saw quality safety play uh, in the open practices to the media. Yeah, I, the negative surprise clearly is Wimbush's accuracy. Not that it was you thought you were watching the next Kaiser or Brady Quinn or Jimmy Clausen during camp, but um, he's just been way more all over the place than, than I would have ever imagined I think in terms of a surprise that I didn't see coming probably the Heinish Tagovailoa effectiveness there um because I I thought that that they were just going to be holding on for dear life like you'd be whenever they inserted them into the game they would just get run over and that hasn't happened at all well the the great thing about Heinish is he can hold the point of attack now he can't get off a block and make a tackle (laughs) but he can hold the point of attack and with Tagovailoa we see some penetration which is why he's He's got a great body for the three technique. He's long, and he can penetrate. Uh, also has trouble getting off blocks, too, as, as a true freshman would. But I think that's a good point. Those guys are giving them some real quality snaps. I didn't expect them as many as they have. Uh, an addendum to that would be Michael Young, but maybe over the long haul. Because I thought that we saw enough of him in camp. You're just oh, like, it's a positive hey, surprise. there's yeah. something that's happening there. And I think it could still be a positive surprise. It just hasn't happened I don't yet. think Kelly's going to back down from you know his announcement last Thursday that, hey, we're going to try some different things at receiver. I mean, Claypool is still a guy that you have to. And he said again Sunday, right? I yeah. mean, he's still a guy that they have to find ways to get the football to. So I don't think they're going to back away from that. And... They should have Cam Smith back this week, and I know he hasn't done a ton, but he's a guy that understands the offense and would be a safe alternative for Wimbush. Yeah, no question. Uh, to the board, Irish Bob, how far can this Irish defense carry the team? Are you surprised by the play of the defense overall? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat surprised 
because they have been very consistent. But I think as camp was ending and we kept having Brian Kelly say the line was the front was pretty good and Mike Elko saying to me directly that you're underestimating this and hearing the defense alignment say it and hearing Mike McGlinchey say it. I mean, I guess we shouldn't be surprised, but it's one of those things we hadn't actually seen it with our eyes. And now that we've seen it with our eyes for three games, uh, it's pretty good. How good uh, to be to take the next step, more of a pass rush, um, you know, maybe a more consistent tackling team. But they're trending in that direction. You certainly get the feeling like they're just going to continue to improve. I am not surprised by the defense being good. But I didn't think they would be as good as they are. Okay. So I'm surprised by the level of the goodness, um, which is yeah, that's that's a very pleasant place for Notre defense to be. Uh, let's see. We got questions from our readers here. Irish Bob, how far can this Irish? Oh, you, did you use that? Yeah, we used yeah. that one. Slappy ND, are the issues in the passing game on Wimbush or the inability of the wide receivers to get separation? The separation question is interesting. Um but I think Notre Dame has enough athleticism at wide receiver to get separation. Uh, St. Brown, Young, uh, Claypool. Like, I feel like if Notre Dame was starting Cam Smith and Miles Boykin, that the lack of separation might be in canteen. If that were your three starting receivers, right. then I would say, like, yeah, you kind of got three guys who are not running away from anybody. But I think Notre Dame has guys who can run away from somebody. So I would lean more towards Wimbush. I, I, I say it's way more Wimbush, especially this last game. I mean, I think some guys were open and he wasn't even close. A lot of those, uh, you know, rolls to the right that he threw into the ground, and then he had a roll to the right that he threw way over St. Brown's head. So I think it's, at this stage, it's way more Wimbush. Hoffy 111, last podcast, you talked about wanting to see the defense make a bad quarterback look bad. Did that happen Saturday? I thought they made him look Below average, um, you know, I, I thought that some credit had to be given to Boston College's approach to the passing game because they were able to get receivers where Notre Dame's defensive backs were not. Um, that doesn't, to me, that doesn't really have a whole lot to do with Notre Dame's secondary. I thought they just had some good play calls, um, and that that's fine because they were also Division One coaches. Uh, but in terms of making their quarterback look terrible, probably not. But I do, I. Subscribe to the Notre Dame is three for three in terms of I agree. we'll call it the level theory, like making your quarterback play to his level or worse. They they have no quarterback that Notre Dame has faced has played better than they actually are today, right. and so I, I think that's still a check plus for the defense last week. I, yeah, because Anthony Brown has played uh, he played a very good first game, a, a very poor second game, very Wimbush like. And in the third game, I mean, give the kid credit. He he, and, and give the I think the tempo of of BC's offense had something to do with that. And Charlie Kellanan, who had two catches for fifteen yards or so in the first two games, uh, got open and Brown put the ball where he could catch it. But I think as the game progressed, uh, Notre Dame started to take better control of the line of scrimmage, and then the then the young kid made some mistakes. But I I agree with what you say. Three for three in not allowing a quarterback to play beyond his means over the course of 60 minutes. One completion beyond 20 yards. I, t- I would right. take that every week. Right, right. Southern Irish one. Is Mike Elko the best hire by anyone in the country this year? I hope Brian <laughs> Kelly stays just so we can keep Elko. <laughs> uh, is, he the, like, is he the best hire in the country? I don't know about that, but is he the best hire for Notre Dame? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's like 
if the summer and winter was all about Matt Bayless, what a hire, incredible hire. Uh, the fall is definitely looking like the same sentiment, but applied to Mike Elko. Yeah, they they made what six? There are six new coaches, including uh, Bayless. You know, Elko's the. I mean, they're they're right there because Bayless has narrowed the gap with them physically, and Ballou has probably narrowed the gap with them athletically. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know about best in the country. You know, somebody asked about top 25. I haven't had a second to take a look at the top 25. Hopefully as a week goes on, but I couldn't even make a judgment on that because we're so we're so wrapped up in uh, in Notre Dame BC. Mike Furman wants to know what is your take on ditching the slow read option plays versus quick hitting RPOs? Our offensive line appears built for the power running game, not finesse stuff. A number of the runs that broke last week won't against top shelf teams. Put a tight end in the backfield and power run. It's a question that needs to be asked of Brian Kelly, but we have to be professional in the way that we phrase that. (laughs) Uh, Because, I mean, I see what people are seeing, and I know a lot of people are complaining about that. But on the other hand, if you allow for a slower developing play, you allow your veteran offensive line to make greater inroads too. So I think there's there's a flip side to that. But... I will try to muster up all my professionalism and phrase it in a way that uh, isn't insulting to a head football coach. In just no, no courage on your part, Priester. <laughs> what, <laughs> what, well, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, Notre Dame is the third in the country in rushing touchdowns. They're third in the country in yards per carry. And fifth in the country in yeah, rushing yards but pe- per game. But they didn't do enough against Georgia, so they lost. And that, I mean, that's no. I mean, <laughs> I really, agree. That's that's the bottom line. Uh, those are just numbers because they lost by one point to Georgia, right? They did. That's true. They did lose to one point by Georgia. But I just, <laughs> I wouldn't just throw out what they're doing. And I look. I I asked about RPOs on you did Thursday, and his answer. I basically said. What's with the RPOs? Is that like is that the next step of the offense? And he said no, more like bootlegs, moving the quarterback around. Let's just focus on his answer about no RPOs. He said it was because the offensive line can beat the crap out of people, and he'd rather have to what Tim you said, slower developing plays gives more time for your offensive line right. to beat the crap out of people. And what happened on Saturday? Notre Dame's offensive line beat the crap out of Boston College. So. I understand, like, it, is there some stuff that's really slow developing? Yes. Um, that's not, it's kind of hard to watch sometimes. But <laughs> then the running back snaps off a 65-yard run or Wimbush is running for Right. Do we know, 50. we don't note it then, do we? No, nobody's like, God, that Wimbush, he just took forever to run for 50-yard <laughs> touchdown. Nobody says that. Um, now, could they motion tight ends through the backfield and, like, do that wham blocking more? I I guess, but I think you would have to have Brock Wright do it because Mac and Wisher are not, that's not a accentuation of their strengths and you're going to have Smythe attached. So could they do more of that? Yes. Um, but I think in terms of where the running game is right now, I'd, I will, will it work against top shelf teams? Well, they're not going to run for 400 or 500 yards against top shelf teams, but they sure as heck need to run for more than 55. I also think the top shelf team aspect of it you're not you're just not going to run into a front seven like georgia the rest of the year stanford no usc no no, miami probably not yeah i i'm not sure well nc state 
NC State. I mean, that is probably, that's, Georgia and NC State will be the two best front sevens in Notre Dame's, that Notre Dame faces. We saw NC State last year, but it was in a hurricane, so it's difficult to tell. NC State's defensive line is better than Georgia's because they have the pass rush component that Georgia really doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, but I, I, I simply can't imagine a better linebacker core. And NC State's linebacker core is good too. But a lot of that has to do with what they do up front with their defense. Yeah, line. I mean, look, it's it's early in the year. NC State is allowing two point eight five yards per carry, has allowed one rushing touchdown, and is allowing eighty eight rushing yards wow. per game. So, so that's pretty good. Um, you know, Georgia, Georgia's not shockingly better than that. They're averaging. 2.32 yards allowed per or per carry. Wow. Um, so, like, it's NC State will be a real challenge for Notre Dame's offensive line, but NC State's linebackers will not be the challenge Georgia was to Brandon Wimbush, the right. tight ends, and Josh Adams. Right, right. Uh, you know, Miami, Ohio, I mean, Michigan State on paper, I, I got to watch a bunch of film Michigan State because you know how I felt about them. On paper, and by the way, let <laughs> the record were terrible, right? Yes, I did. Uh, yeah, and let the record show that I did not say Notre Dame was definitely going to beat Michigan State. Oh, those many weeks ago, I said on paper it looks like they're really, really bad. Yes, I don't think it's going to be a, a blowout. So, I mean, that'll be they'll be formidable, but I we're not going to see a real formidable defensive front seven. Maybe until NC State, although I know USC is before that. USC has some issues that they have to deal with, too. Yeah. Bottom line. Michigan State is starting two former walk-ons. Right, right, right. Bottom line. Notre Dame needs to be 3-1. and We'll worry about that other stuff. We will have podcasts between then and now. Yeah, like 27 of them. Yes. All right, last question. SF Catillo, besides an underachieving Torrey Hunter Jr., what is this team missing from last year's receiving core? Because Notre Dame wasn't that bad last year at receiver. Uh, 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 Sarah Kaiser is the quarter, answer. A quarterback <laughs> that was about to be a second round pick and could have been a first and is now starting in the NFL. That would be the largest difference. Yeah, I do. The Sean Kaiser is the largest difference. Uh, it is a new offense, and yeah, that, that's may, a factor may, too. You know, maybe we are underrating that. Um, is something because they basically have run one offense for the last seven years, and now they're running something that's at least different. There's a what I look at. It's different enough that Cam Smith, who has had all sorts of injuries and doesn't have that home run speed that they wanted, but it's different enough that he is borderline thriving in it as the clear number two wide receiver. I think that you can look at that from a few yeah. different ways. Some of it is well, the receivers maybe aren't that good, but maybe some of it is this offense yeah. is harder to pick up. I mean, who's to say? Thought. I mean, would Claypool would be further along if Mike Denbrock was still the 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 play caller, the coordinator. because yeah, he would know all the plays. <laughs> right, ex- exactly. And I know a lot of people are, well, Dell Alexander's no good now. I, I just don't think we can make that leap yet. No, Cincinnati's hundred. Cincinnati's 124th in the country in total offense. It, You know, uh, or Tommy Reese was a lousy hire because Brandon Wimbush is, is inaccurate. It, it's too much of a leap at this this stage. You can't be so need you can't have a knee jerk reaction every time an area doesn't play well within the first three games. Football doesn't work that way. We see it all across the <laughs> yes, country. Yes, it does. What are you talking? We about? see it all across the country in college football where a team has to transition at quarterback and at receiver or offensive line. 
you see bad play all over, we focus on Notre Dame's bad play. Yeah, and they did, they've what, run for 1,000 yards in three games? They have. Okay. That's a good season for and some past teams. Josh, uh, Josh Adams is like in the top 10 in the country in rushing. Yeah, so Notre Dame, it's, I think it's just a different team than we thought it would be offensively, uh, maybe even defensively, but the defensive changes are just like they're a little bit better in a way that we thought they were going to be anyway, offensively. Is, well, Elko's a tremendous communicator yeah. and teacher, bottom line. Yeah, offensively, I think the, even the coaches are a little bit surprised at yeah. where they are. And yeah. As I wrote in my column, like, hey, you know what? This is this is why you get paid a lot of money, um, to adjust on the fly and take something that looks really hard and figure it out. You made a point in crossing the lines. Maybe Brandon and Wimbush will only be good and not great. Maybe. Okay. I mean, maybe. You'll, you'll take that now, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, they, they just need to figure out a way to accentuate the good maybe more exactly. than they did on Saturday. And I think that's that's why I'm mo- the, the Brandon Wimbush development story, I'm most interested in it from a coaching perspective than I am the actual player himself. Because I think Brandon Wimbush is rock solid. He's somebody our message board was talking about like, oh, God, I didn't like his body language. You see the next Dane Christ. I don't see that. I saw against Georgia, I felt like he got beat up um, and was like, He oh. did. But I, let me just mention one body it. language thing, I, I, and, and I've seen 8 billion quarterbacks throw a football. He's hoping on some of his throws. His throwing motion is not free and easy. He's steering the football, and that, to me, says there's doubt in his mind, and he should have doubt. With sure. <laughs> I mean, if, if he's halfway through the Boston College game as inaccurate as he, as he is, of course he's going to have doubts. But to your point... Brandon Wimbush is a solid, stable, mature kid. He just needs to experience a little bit of success, and I think that body language will be even better. Yeah, definitely. All right, Notre Dame football. About what we thought, but also different. So that's, in a nutshell, (laughs) through three games. You've been listening to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. Pete Sampson and Tim Priester. O'Malley will be back with us on Thursday for our... No, he won't be joining us for our Michigan State preview. Maybe next month. He'll be back. He'll be back. He'll be back. Um, so until Thursday, when again it will be Priester and myself, we'll be talking Michigan State. Thanks for listening to another edition of Irish Illustrated. Insight.